Thank you, ladies and guys. Thank you also. That was beautiful. Goodbye is a difficult word, isn't it? I mean, not always, but often it's just tough to hear that word goodbye when it's said for the last time it can be absolutely devastating. But goodbye is not always the end. When uh, our children left home, Linda and I were very excited that they were moving to the next stage of their lives. She was a little sadder than I was. As I've told you before, I was Bill Cosby. Get out! Stay out! You know? Come back and we'll have great times together on the weekends. And I, I really think, well, it's just my personality, I guess. That's the way it's supposed to be, and it's okay. It's, kids get out and, and they make a life of, of their own. But when it's said for the last time, it can be uh, a different story. If you've never read Sheldon Van Auken's book, A Severe Mercy, you really must read this book. It's one of the most beautiful love stories and relationships that you'll ever read about as he talks about the love that he and his wife, Jean, uh, who was also known as Davy, had for one another. Uh, In the end, though, you see the need for, for your first and greatest love to be for Jesus Christ, no matter who you love more than Jesus, it's it's misplaced. The reason I, I refer to this book is because uh, it tells a story about one time he and C.S. Lewis together. Van Auken was an unbeliever, he and his wife both, neither one of them had, had trusted Christ. And they went to Oxford to study, uh, and while he was there, he started corresponding with C.S. Lewis, asking him questions. He's, he had a lot of questions about the claims of Christ, and Lewis uh, wrote back, and, and, and just the, these letters alone are worth the price of the book, worth well more than the price of the book, that they exchange back and forth talking about uh, Jesus and whether or not he is worthy to be trusted. But Van Auken, as you may know, trusted Christ, and he and Lewis actually developed a friendship. They would meet together in Oxford, and one night they were leaving a pub after a gay old time, I suppose, and and Lewis was crossing the street, and Van Auken said goodbye. And a few minutes, uh, just a few seconds later, Lewis turned back around and he and he called after Van Auken and said, "Christians never say goodbye." That's true, isn't it? Christians never say goodbye. I'm so thankful for that promise. We're going to meet again, one way or another. There are times when we go our separate ways, though. In this life, whether it's temporary or it's permanent. And this is one of those days in which we say goodbye. We say goodbye to some students, some students for the very last time. Today is the last Sunday for Zach Anderson, who's been playing bass for us for two or three years. And I've told him that he needs to make a guest appearance three Sundays out of the month. So we'll see if he will do that. He's only going to be in Winston-Salem. He talks like that's too far to come. Good grief. If you are a senior at Campbell, and this Sunday or the next one or two will be your last Sundays. Anybody here in that category, would you please stand? This is your, this is it for you. Thank God we'll see you all, uh, soon. Good. I'm glad. To the rest of the students, so, and that's a lot of you this morning in the first service. I can't believe so many of you got up early. Pharmacy students always do, but rest of you, I don't know what your problem is today. Um, 
But we'll see you back next fall for our potluck, welcome potluck uh, dinner. And I can promise you that the men in this church are looking forward to that just as much as you are. Women, different story, since they have to cook three times the normal to feed the students. But anyway, we're we're just delighted to have you here. We're going to miss you this summer. Uh, I'm going to enjoy coming in at 10 o'clock next week instead of 9.15, but we will miss you. Well, there's another group leaving here today that you've already heard about. Eleven students who literally will be going all over the world. As David mentioned, every continent of the world except for two that uh, don't have that many people anyway are going to be representing represented by people from Grace Community Church this summer. In a sense, they're going out from among us to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And You know, we have a commission to... To send people out to, to, to the far corners of the world to, to share the gospel. And we do that. We have 12 missionaries. And, and this year, as you may recall, in our extremely ambitious budget, we added $100 per month to each one of those missionaries because so many people are cutting back. We have, now David was talking about the budget, we actually have enough money in our budget to help these guys at least a little bit. But we don't have enough in the account. And I, I want to say one more time, as I did several weeks ago, I don't want to harp on this, but let me just challenge you. If you have a job right now, give extra. I'm doing it. I, I know several others of you are. Well, I shouldn't say I know that. I assume that you are. Give extra, not as a guarantee that you'll keep your job. You may lose it in two weeks or two months. You may lose your job and, and then you think, Wow, I wish I'd have had that extra money that I gave to... Whose money is it anyway? Who provides for us anyway? Who gave you the job? Who enables you to, to get to that job? So give extra right now, just in gratitude to, for, for God's grace. We sang about His amazing grace a while ago. If, you can, if you're able to right now, then do it. Give extra. Wednesday night, our elders are meeting for several reasons. It's not a typically scheduled meeting, but one of the things is to talk about... The finances, because unless you give well today, we're going to be starting to get into those territories of uh, a little bit tight right now. And one of the things that's suffering is our ability to take the gospel to the world. So, again, let me just encourage you, please pray about the finances here and, 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 and pray for these guys who are going. We're going to ask them, the ones who are going on mission trips, to go out into the lobby after... Uh, towards the end of the first service, and, and then you'll be able to talk with them a little bit. So, uh, and, and by the way, if you are going on a mission trip this summer, and you and I haven't connected all that much, please talk to me about it. Just let me know who you are and where you're going, that kind of thing. It's terrible that I don't know all of you, but clearly I'm not eating much steak these days. Well, we're going to look at... Uh, the Great Commission this morning. It's not surprising that this ties in with our study on the Trinity. Matthew twenty-eight sixteen to 20 is our text. Some of these, these verses are extremely familiar. So if you would please stand as we read Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20. You understand that this is after the resurrection. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, 
All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray. Father, we are, many of us are just extremely familiar with these words. Familiar intellectually, that is. Father, spiritually, emotionally, they've never really impacted us the way that they should. We pray that you would this morning put a fire in our hearts to make disciples of all nations. That includes right where we are. So speak to our hearts and and, and challenge us and and change us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you and be seated. Well, as I just said, this scene takes place in Galilee after Jesus' resurrection. As before His ascension to go back to heaven, which ascension back to heaven, which took place in Jerusalem, just outside of Jerusalem at the Mount of Olives. Uh, This is a, a, a time that Jesus had, had, had sent word to the disciples early on the morning of His resurrection, he told the women to go tell my disciples that I'll meet them in Galilee. He actually then met them in Jerusalem that night and also a week later. But here, there is an indication that there were some 500 disciples with Jesus. We read about that a few weeks ago in 1 Corinthians 15. Remember, Paul said that he appeared to 500 500 brothers and sisters in Christ. He appeared to all of these people. And most likely, or very likely, it's at this time when he, when he appeared to them. Now, the first time that he appeared to him, Thomas wasn't there to the eleven. It was actually only the ten. Thomas wasn't there. Later, when Thomas saw him, of course, you remember Thomas expressed a great deal of skepticism. But later, Jesus appeared and repented immediately for, of, of his doubt and fell on the his face and worshiped the Lord, fell on his knees and worshiped Jesus. Now, in Matthew 28, 17, we're told that some of the disciples worshiped Jesus, but some doubted. It's highly unlikely that any of the eleven doubted because they'd taken care of this already. When, when Jesus had come the first time, then the second time, he had appeared to him some two to three times already by this point. So, who was it that doubted? Well, probably an extended group of disciples and maybe this entire group that Jesus, we're told in 1 Corinthians 15, that Jesus had appeared to. It's not that these people were saying, expressing skepticism like, that's not Jesus, this is some sort of trick. Listen, this was long before David Copperfield had made the Statue of Liberty disappear. I mean, it's not that they were saying, I don't believe that, that's an imposter. But more likely, the Greek word expresses uncertainty, not skepticism. Greek word that's used for doubt. It's more likely that they were saying, can this be Jesus? It's just too good to be true. I I, I don't know if I can see my eyes. The fact that many of these disciples worshipped Jesus tells us something about God. These, These were Jews who would not dare worship anyone but God. And that's exactly what they were doing. They were worshiping 
God. They were stating with their actions, I believe that Jesus is God. Can you imagine what a great day this was for Jesus' followers? I mean, Jesus had been dead. Not mostly dead for Princess Bride fans, but all the way dead, completely dead. He was done. Nobody questioned that. What a ridiculous idea that Jesus just fainted. He swooned. And then, can you imagine what a mess he would have been when he appeared to people the way he had been beaten so badly? Now he was alive. And he was telling... Well, let's see what he was telling them. Look at verse 18. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You know, it's interesting that Jesus begins his comments, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. It's been delegated to me. We just saw less than two minutes ago that the disciples worshipped him as God. If he's God, why does he need to be given authority? Well, we recognize that there is order in the Trinity. It was the Father who had given him this authority. And even though, as we've said many times, Jesus and the Holy Spirit are every bit as much God as the Father is, there is definite order. Jesus didn't do anything apart from the permission and direction of His Father. Now Jesus was going to, going to tell the disciples how the good news of His death and resurrection would be spread to all the nations around the world. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them everything I have taught you. There are four different verbs in this section, beginning in verse 19 and then going halfway through verse 20. Four verbs. Go, make disciples, baptize, and teach. Now, in the Greek, it's structured in such a way that one of these verbs is the primary verb and all the others support it. The other Verbs are subordinate verbs or actually participles. Which of these four verbs do you think is the primary command? A lot of you already know that. If you didn't know that it's make disciples, you would probably think it's go, but it is make disciples in the Greek. It's the primary command and all the others are subordinate to the main command. We've talked about that here before, but too much and too little is made of this structure. Too little is made when all the emphasis is put on, on going. Now, I grew up <clears throat> as a Baptist and, and uh, you know, Baptists get, well, we all do, but they get sort of hung up on something and then they go with it for a long, long time. And, and the emphasis in, in Baptist life, I can promise you on this verse, is go, go. Go and make disciples. And, and, and there's almost this sense that only missionaries are super Christians. Well, missionaries are super Christians, and, and, and they're the only ones that are really fulfilling the Great Commission. On the other hand, too much is made of this structure 
when we're told that going isn't really all that big a deal because make disciples is the main verb. So don't worry about missions. God's going to take care of missions anyway. He's going to take care of getting the gospel out there. But it's clear in the context of Jesus' command that that going to make disciples of all nations would require some to leave Jerusalem and Galilee to get out there and spread this good news. The sense of this verse is such that it could be translated, as you are going, make disciples of all nations. It's anticipated. It's, it's expected that they would go. And as you were going, he says, as you were going, make disciples of all nations. Well, that's what students are going to be doing this summer. Eleven of them. At least eleven. Eleven that we know about. They're going for the purpose of intentionally sharing the gospel. And we're proud of you. Those of you who are going. We're very proud. And we're also challenged that wherever we go this summer, that we're going to be carrying the gospel. It's not just up to you. It's up to every single one of us in this room. In the first century, these 500 disciples of Jesus had a huge role in the spread of the gospel all over the world. But so did the merchantmen and Soldiers and slaves who were Christ followers and who moved about, or in the case of slaves, were moved about all over the world. First century was quite a mobile uh, time. People traveled a lot because of those great Roman roads. Now, they couldn't get there as quickly as we can, but they loved to travel in the first century just like we do. It's also true, though, that the gospel spread as Christians shared their faith when some of those travelers came to them, to their cities or their villages. Indeed, think about Pentecost. People from all over the world, Jews from all over the world, were in Jerusalem. God had gathered them there. And they heard Peter preach salvation through Jesus Christ. 3,000 Jews were saved on that day. And that may have just been the men because in that time when you counted people, you only counted men. Which, you know, we think of as ridiculous. But that's just the way it was then. So it could have been a great number more than that. And these people, men and women, took the gospel back with them all over the world. Now, they were taking the gospel to their Jewish brothers sisters in Christ, or not in Christ, to their Jewish brothers and sisters, Gentiles would be added to the family of God later. So while the Great Commission has a definite command to go and make disciples all over the world, not all of us can be full-time missionaries. But all Christ followers can obey this command and make disciples. The key is intentionality. God is clearly calling some people to leave home for the specific reason to take the gospel to places that don't have near the testimony that we have in this country, near the availability of the Word or access to the Word. But He's calling all of us to make disciples. What does that mean, to make disciples? Well, the answer is in the command. First, we have to be intentional about telling others that the only way anyone can be rightly related with God is to be rightly related 
to Jesus. If they're willing to follow Jesus, there should be no problem identifying with Him in baptism. Again, something that I've been convicted I need to emphasize a lot more. I think baptism in our day has become uh, such a such a ritual and a routine that people get confused and think that that's how they're being saved is because they're being dunked and 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 many evangelicals have gone out of their way to make sure that there's a, an understanding of uh, of faith in Christ for by grace are you saved through faith that not of yourselves it's gift of God not of works lest anyone should boast we want to emphasize that so much that we tend to separate baptism, but it's never separated in the New Testament. Anytime you see someone being baptized, it's as they believe. Almost immediately, as they believe. And, and if a person is willing to follow Jesus, then they're willing to identify with Him in baptism. Of course, they're going to need to know what's expected of them in this new life. So it's up to us to point them to the teachings of Jesus found in God's Word. It would be difficult to overemphasize the role in a new believer's life. Actually, it would be difficult to overemphasize the role of Scripture in any believer's life. I was talking with someone the other day, as a pastor, I guess. Yeah, it was Pastor Ronnie Bird where I was at South Irwin Baptist uh, preaching this week in the evenings and Somehow we got to talking about Scripture, and I said, yeah, I've got Bibles everywhere. I've got one at church. I've got one at, you know, I've got them everywhere because I don't ever want to be without one. And he said, yeah, and that's pretty convenient, isn't it? And I knew what he was saying. I said, yeah, I've got Bibles everywhere. How much time do I spend in the Word, though? Have you picked up in this process of sharing the gospel, sharing the good news of Jesus, and then helping people to grow? How important an understanding is of the Trinity? Of course, we see that the three persons of the Godhead mentioned here. It's interesting, and I don't know, I'm making too much of this, that he says to be baptized into the name of the Father of the Son. Maybe name is implied in the other clauses there. But he talks about one name, the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, Jesus didn't call his converts to be identified with three different gods, but with one. I imagine the the concept of the Trinity was difficult for these 500 disciples to embrace. Well, it was difficult for them before the resurrection, that is. Looking at Jesus Christ, they understood that they were looking at God, which is why they worshipped Him. Now they were face to face with the risen Christ. And it was easier for them to see what had previously been just absolutely impossible for them to understand. And and we can, we can get that. The Trinity, while there are places we see the Trinity in the Old Testament, it's, it's not spelled out for Old Testament, wasn't spelled out for Old Testament saints the same way that it's spelled out for us in the New Testament. So you can understand why it was difficult before that. Let let me ask you, would it be easier for you to recognize, accept, and even proclaim the Trinity if you had just had the same experiences that these disciples had had? I mean, if you were one of those 500 there, you'd think that'd do it, wouldn't you? And yet some of them 
had difficulty putting it all together in their minds. They, they doubted. I'm sure that they were eventually, if not almost immediately, convinced. Ultimately, it's the eyes of faith that allow us to see Jesus. All the evidence in the world will not convince you if you refuse to believe. But when we accept the gospel message by faith, our eyes of understanding are open to a world that we never knew existed. And it happens just like that when you believe. Have you ever trusted Christ as your Savior or do your doubts keep you from believing? Would you in your heart right now, just in your heart, not we're not going to bow heads or anything like that, but just if, if that's your problem or if that's your, your, your difficulty, your, the thing that blocks you from coming to Jesus, just pray in your heart for God to give you the faith to believe. Ask Him to give you the faith to believe. For those of you who do know Jesus, how long has it been since you just sat at His feet and heard His Word. Life's busy, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's busy for all of us. I'm one of those, and I, I, I don't like this about me, but you know, I'm one of those, you say, how's it going? Oh, it's pretty busy, pretty busy, you know. But it's busy for everybody, I recognize that. It's just that kind of age. You know, back in the 50s and 60s, when they realized what was in store for us with computers... Great, great concerns was what would people do with all the spare time they had with, not computers, just technology, all the modern conveniences that we have. Well, it's just enable us, you know, work at this pace and to live at this pace. We just all go like crazy. So how long has it been since you've just sat at Jesus' feet and heard His Word? You know, I'm convinced one of the reasons that we don't tell others about Jesus is that He holds such a minor place of importance in our hearts. It's hard to be interested in making disciples when you're struggling to maintain your own status as a disciple. Now, don't get me wrong. Once you belong to Jesus, you always will. Once you've trusted Jesus death on the repentant of your sins and trusted Jesus, death on the cross is, is payment for your sins. You always belong in the family of God. But what's the definition of a disciple? It's one who follows. It's one who follows closely. And as, as the distance grows between Jesus and us, our priorities change. And, and certainly helping others to, to, to come into a life that we're really not living ourselves just isn't all that appealing to us. Why? Because we're just not close enough to remember how very good He is. The closer you are to Jesus, the more likely your enthusiasm will grow to help or to cause other people to move towards Him and and your enthusiasm for Him will spill over. To others, But our commitment to making disciples needs to be that. A commitment. It's not enough just for people to catch the overflow of Jesus in our lives. We need to invest in the lives of others. You are going this summer, whether it's to Ethiopia, 
or to Johnston County to work or to a neighborhood book club. Go with the desire to share the gospel. As you were going, look for opportunities to help new believers or a believer that is not as advanced as you are in your walk with the Lord to move them to the next level. Look for those opportunities. None of these, none of these commitments are going to be realized if the most important person in my life is me. And that's pretty much the way I wake up every morning far more concerned about me than I am about anybody else. And unless I die daily, as Paul said, and unless the flesh is crucified and he has to be the one, you can't really crucify yourself. You know, you can do, go part way. But that's it. Unless the flesh is crucified, I'm going to live for myself. My commitment to Jesus must supersede all other commitments in my life. If I have any hope of fulfilling this charge that Jesus gave. Not only to the 500 disciples, not only to the 11, but to all of us. All who follow Him. So this morning... Do we close with a call to follow Jesus closely or a call to make disciples as we are going? It's both. I mean, we can be close to Jesus without seeking to influence others to move toward Him. And it's possible, in fact, it's very likely that many can hypocritically lead others to a relationship with Jesus which they know little. But I don't think any of us want to have one without the other. If you were close to Jesus, I know your heart desires that other be, others be brought close to Him. And you don't want to live that, that phony life of someone saying, hey, here's what you ought to be, but you're nowhere near it yourself. I think that's why you're here this morning. You want to take the next step in your relationship. You want to move beyond where you are. You want to be close to Jesus and there's a part of you that really wants to share the gospel and to help others draw closer to Him. If only you weren't so scared. If it weren't so difficult. If you had a different personality. You know, whatever we do, regardless of our personality, regardless of of how God made us to be. Whatever we do is going to have to be done by faith. Whether we can have a, whether we have this clear sense of God's power in our lives and this great courage in our hearts, or we are shaken so badly we can hardly get the words out. Doesn't matter. God just calls us. And both of those personalities have problems, by the way. Both of them. God just calls us to go and make disciples. Let's pray. So perhaps you need to pray, God, give me the faith to believe that Jesus died for me, that He's the only way to get to you. And I pledge my entire life to you. That doesn't mean that if you were to pray that prayer, it doesn't mean that 
You can always do the right thing. Far from it. But it is an acknowledgement in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. If you're a Christ follower and you're really not doing so on the follower part, you're following at a distance, would you just ask the Lord to to narrow that distance? You know, it's not like you have to catch up. All you have to do is to say, Lord, forgive me, and you're right back by His side. And you are following closely, but you're not calling out to others and say, come and see, come and see. Then would you ask the Lord to give you the desire and the courage to be a disciple maker? Lord, uh, we give ourselves to you this day. In Jesus' name.